All right, turn your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. We're going to get there in a second. Uh, boy, this has been a long series on music. And uh, I, think this, I think this is the 14th message in this series. We'll, we're going to do one more next week to kind of finish everything up and round it off uh, at an even 15, I guess. But Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to get there in just a minute. One of the areas that a pastor has to watch like a hawk in a church is the music. And I've said this many times, and I think, um, I think what happens often in a church is that the music starts to slide in the wrong direction, and once the music starts to go in the wrong direction, it seems like everything else follows behind it not very long after. Um, if it's a really good, solid church, then maybe it takes a little bit, a little bit longer for everything else to, to follow after that, but if you start letting things slide in the area of music, then you're going to let things slide in every other area. It's just a natural, it's just a natural occurrence. It's, it's, it's what happens in a church. And I, and I think there's a few reasons for that. I think it's because everybody has different tastes and opinions. Um, I think it's because any number of, of people in the church have decent musical experience, decent musical knowledge. And I think it's also because of the great pressure that we have in our modern era that is really constantly putting pressure on people uh, and driving us in a worldly direction. Um, and so it's, it is one of those things that has to be very closely guarded, very closely protected. And it's, it's easier to do in a smaller church. The bigger you get, the harder it is, because now you're drawing from people who have come from any number of different backgrounds and have any kind of uh, number of different uh, tastes in music and, and uh, backgrounds in music and all those other things. So I'm not, I'm not trying to imply that people in the church would willingly contribute to uh, a church sliding away or sliding in the wrong direction when it comes to music. Um, especially when it comes to the spiritual level of the church music. But if there isn't a mutual shared vision of the direction that our music could, should go in, a direction for our church's music program, then, then really you're just asking for problems. And so there has to be something that is our standard. There has to be something that we, that we go by for why we do what we do. And we've talked a lot about a lot of those different things. But, but I guess what I'm saying is that we have to have some guidelines that we all understand, that we all agree with, that we all abide by when it comes to keeping our music right. And some of those um, philosophical principles, some of those guidelines we've already talked about, some of these are going to be just, just I, I say new, but, but different than what we've already talked about. And so uh, either way, I, I hope it'll be a help to you in, in choosing church music, whether it's music that is chosen to be sung in church or whether it's music that, is, uh, that you're choosing to listen to um, in your own home. Either way, I think, I think these are great principles and great guidelines that we can use. And there's not, I, I think I have five of them tonight, not a ton of them that we, that we have to uh, uh, consider, but these are, these are good guidelines, I think, to help us. And um, uh, Brother Bill mentioned this the other day, or asked me the other day, because uh, one of the things that I actually did on the app is I put a Spotify playlist on there. And if, you're not, if you don't have Spotify, I don't know if you can actually get onto that playlist and play that specific playlist or not. I don't know how it works. I actually, you know, people have different, you know, some people have Apple Music, some people have Pandora or whatever else. I use Spotify. I think it's a great, uh, a great option. A lot of people use it, and so there's, there's just a huge array of good Christian music that you can find on there, if you know what you're looking for. Uh, I think there, I think it can also be a, a, a there, there's some potholes in there too if you don't know what you're looking for if you don't know the, the kind of music that you should be listening to but I put that playlist on our website so if you go to or not on the website on the app so if you go to the more app and go to there's a I don't know if it says music playlist or if it actually says Spotify playlist I'm not sure but I think there's about 50 or 60 songs on there right now and we'll just keep adding to it as we go uh, and as I come across good music and and of course most of the, all of the music that we play before and after the services. 
Uh, those were all from CDs that we've bought here and there. So I'm going to try to see if I can find that stuff on Spotify and put it on there as well. But uh, that's a great place to start if you're looking for good Christian music. But let me give you some principles tonight I think that will help us uh, to, <clears throat> to get where we're going when it comes to this idea of choosing church music. So the first thing is that the lyrics to any music sung or played in church must be scriptural. Uh, Colossians chapter 3, and you're there, verse number 16 says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So the lyrics has to be scriptural. The lyrics must be scriptural, should be scriptural. And the safest way to do that is to sing songs that are composed of actual scripture, like singing the psalms. Uh, that's something that I, <clears throat> from time to time, I don't, I don't want to say that I get on a kick of doing it, but uh, I, I do it more, and then it kind of fades from my mind, and then I'm, I, you know, it's something that I want to do more of. There's lots of psalms that have been put to music, and, and uh, you know, we, we always sing a chorus at the beginning of the service, and, and uh, when I'm writing, the, when I'm figuring out which choruses we're going to do, I, I don't often think about those psalms, but it's something that I want to get back to doing more and more of, because that's a great, I mean, what's better, what's better, uh, 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 what's What's better of a scriptural song than singing the actual scripture, right? Singing the Bible, singing the Psalms. And there's other, there's other verses that have been put to uh, music as well that I think would be helpful for us. But it's also true that Paul said here in Colossians chapter 3 that other types of lyrics are permissible, assuming that they're scriptural in their content, right? He says, Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. So it doesn't always... And, and I, you know, I, I, I think about this often. I wonder uh, if there was a songbook that was sung by the people in those early churches, you know? Did they have a songbook that they passed around? And man, if you could get a copy of that songbook, you know, imagine what that would be like. Obviously, we don't have any hymns or spiritual songs that were sung by the early church, but they must have had something because Paul, Paul talked about it, right? Now, obviously, they did sing the Psalms, but they also must have sung hymns and spiritual songs. Can you imagine hearing some of those and, and what that must have been like? But uh, I say that to say that obviously that's something that's permissible as well because we're told right there in Colossians chapter 3, but um, it, it, there's some guidelines when it comes to that as well. If it's a doctrinal song, is it, is it fundamentally orthodox? And when I say that, is it, does it line up with the Word of God? Is it, uh, obviously for us, uh, is it Baptistic in its doctrine? Um, does it line up with our distinctives? Is it correct in its proclamation of eschatology and ecclesiology and all those other things? And those are all terms that you probably don't even have any idea for the most part what they mean. Those are doctrinal terms, but that's where it's my job then to make sure that the music that we are singing is music that is lining up with Scripture, lining up with the Word of God. If the song is speaking about God, is it, is it a scriptural concept of God? Or is it, like we talked about a couple of weeks ago, that Jimby music, Jesus is my boyfriend. You know, that's, that's not the kind of music that, that is honoring to God. In fact, to me, in a lot of ways, not only is it disrespectful, it's very blasphemous in a lot of ways. Um, because now you are equating Jesus with just some other lover or something like that. And that's, uh, obviously, you're bringing God way down to a different level. But... I think a, a good question then is, does it present God as high and holy and lifted up, right? A lot of these songs, How Great Thou Art, those are songs that lift God up, that, that put Him up on that, up on that pedestal, so to speak. Um, is it loyal to the Word of God? Is, is, is the emotional content rooted in the Scripture? Because there's a lot of songs that, and we're going to talk about this in just a minute, but there's a lot of songs that appeal to the emotions, and that's it. You know, try to get people to... to, to 
uh, weep at the, at the thought of the song or something like that, but it's really not rooted in Scripture. It's really not rooted in any kind of scriptural content. It's just meant to pull on the heartstrings, right? Uh, so there's music like that too, but I know that that's, it's really painting things with a broad brush, but, but honestly, the older a song is, the better the chance that it is going to be very doctrinal in its nature, which is one of the reasons why I'm not willing to give up the hymns. Uh, a lot of these newer churches, even churches that claim to be independent fundamental Baptist churches, are moving away from the hymns and moving toward everything is plastered up on a screen that they're singing, right? And it's all these new, and, and um, even if you can't say that it's 100% contemporary, it's moving in that direction, and it has that sound, and it's, you know, the same kind of, that's what everybody wants, just the music that kind of makes you move with the music, Right? And I'm not saying that there's, not, there's anything wrong with a, a song that moves faster and makes you tap your foot to it or something. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but what's happening in, in a lot of these churches is that their, their whole diet is, is that. And it's all these songs that are just, you know, they, they just bring God down a, a level. And they bring us up a level, right, when it should be the exact opposite. And there's no doctrine in it. There's no, there's no scriptural content in it. You know, it's... Um, and again, it, you know what I'm saying, there, there, there has to be a balance. I'm not saying that every one of those songs is wrong, um, but people, sadly, I, I think people 100, 150 years ago had a whole lot closer relationship with the Word of God, those that were writing the hymns, those that were writing these songs. I mean, you think about the songs that we sing out of our hymn book and just how, how not even just the way that they're written, but how doctrinal they are. You just pick any song in the hymn book and start going through that and just... Try to pick out all the doctrines that are in there. They're loaded with doctrinal concepts. And that's how, I mean, that's honestly, you know, you think about a lot of those songs, that's, that's how a lot of people learned the doctrines of the Bible is because they were singing those songs. And now you don't get that anymore because the songs are so shallow. And, and, and that's a detriment. And, the, and I think one of the reasons why the songs are so shallow is because most of the people who are writing the songs today don't have a deep relationship with the Word of God. They don't know the Word of God, so they're not putting Scripture in it because they don't even know Scripture to put in it. And there might be a verse or two or a reference or two to the Bible, but nothing like what we had before. And I'm not saying, I'm not saying that a song that's new is automatically wrong, but I'm saying the chances that a song that was written 100 or 150 years ago is deeply rooted in Scripture, you're, you have a whole lot better chance of finding it there than you do anywhere else, right? And uh, a lot of the songs that are in our songbook have, uh, I mean, do you know there are hundreds of songbooks that have been written in the last 150, 200 years. And we'll come across them in these old bookstores and things like that, and you start going through the, the songbook, and there's songs, most of the songs in there I've never even heard before, let alone sung, but they're good songs. You know, so what I say is that a lot of these things have been filtered and filtered and filtered, so the songs that we end up with in our songbook are songs that have been put to the test for 100, 150, 200 years. They've been sung by generations after generation of, of good, solid Bible-loving Christians, and uh, you know, so when we were when we were trying to pick a songbook for our church before we started, I think we took five, six, seven different songbooks and compared all of the songs in there. And this one, there's a few new songs in there, but this one had the most hymns out of all of the other songbooks that we that we picked through and, and looked through. And so that's why we ended up with that. But uh, every songbook, every song in our hymn book has to be examined for doctrinal purity. And uh, I know, the, I know the, uh, the editor of this songbook. I trust um, his doctrinal stance. I know where he stands on that. And that's another reason why we picked this book, too. But that means that we have to be very careful which songbook we choose, which new songs we allow, and so on. And I'm not saying that because the song is new, we should never sing it. We've sung some new songs here, right? Uh, nothing ever can, nothing ever will. I don't know when that was written, but it wasn't all that long ago. 
We sang a song at Easter, risen. It wasn't written all that long ago. Just because it's new doesn't make it, doesn't make it wrong. But if it's new, it still has to go through that rigorous test of making sure that it fill, uh, falls in line with the Scripture. You know that, that Spurgeon wouldn't even allow an organ in his church, didn't allow any music in his church. Um, no, no instruments, no piano, no organ, nothing. He didn't want the instruments to distract from the words of the song. And I thought that was pretty interesting. Uh, and so he said, a, he said a few things about this in relation to that. In his commentary on uh, Psalm 42, verse number four, he said this. David appears to have had a peculiarly tender remembrance of the singing of the pilgrims. And assuredly, it is the most delightful part of worship and that which comes nearest to the adoration of heaven. What a degradation to supplant the intelligent song of the whole congregation by the theatrical prettiness of a quartet, the refined niceties of a choir, or the blowing off of wind from inanimate bellows and pipes. We might as well pray by machinery as praise by it. That's pretty interesting. You know, he's saying, why do you need a choir? Why do you need a, a, a group of four people up there? Man, listen to the congregation sing. You know, he said, we might as well use some, some, uh, some machine to pray if we're going to use a machine to, to accompany the music. Right? It's a pretty interesting thought. He said this in his commentary on Psalm 33. Praise the Lord with harp. That's the, the quote of the, of the verse, Psalm 33, verse 2. Men need all the help they can get to stir them up to praise. This is the lesson to be gathered from the use of musical instruments under the old dispensation. Israel was at school and used childish things to help her to learn. But in these days, when Jesus gives us spiritual manhood, we can make melody without strings and pipes. We who do not believe these things to be expedient in worship, lest they should mar its simplicity, do not affirm them to be unlawful. And if any George Herbert or Martin Luther can worship God better by the aid of well-tuned instruments, who shall gainsay their right? We do not need them. They would hinder than help our praise. But if others are otherwise minded, are they not living in gospel liberty? Sing unto him. This is the sweetest and best of music. No instrument like the human voice. As a help to sing in the instrument is alone to be tolerated for keys and strings. Do not praise the Lord. Interesting to, to say that. I mean, but what he's saying is you don't need all of those things. People use this to, to drum up the, the emotions in the music and everything else. And, and I don't necessarily agree. Then what he's saying is, hey, if you think that it's, that, that it's all right to use musical instruments in the service, fine, go for it. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do that thing. But he's saying you don't need it. What you need is a focus on the words. The best musical instrument that God ever created was the human voice. And when you put all those human voices together, boy, it sounds wonderful. And you don't need all this other stuff to try to drum up the emotions. And I, I mean, obviously, we won't see it as that. Uh, I, think, I think an accompaniment with instruments, uh, as long as they are uh, done decently in an order. Listen, a drum is just something to make a bunch of noise, right? And uh, that's, you, know, you put these drum sets in there, and you've got all this, all this other noise going on and everything else behind it. I, I don't think that's done decently in an order. But, but having an accompaniment with an organ or a piano or a guitar or some of these other things, I, I think is very, very helpful. So somebody asked Spurgeon why he doesn't use musical instruments in worship, and he quoted 1 Corinthians 14, 15, I will pray with the Spirit, and I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the Spirit. And I will sing with the understanding also. And he said this, I would as soon pray to God with machinery as to sing to God with machinery. Now, he preached to 20,000 people every week for 20 years. And never one time in, in Metropolitan Baptist Tabernacle did he ever use musical instruments in the service. So obviously you can get along without it. Um, but I think the whole point of what he's trying to say then is that uh, the lyrics are what's important. 
The words that are being sung is what's important. And he didn't want anything to distract from that, even a musical instrument. Uh, but what we're saying is the lyrics to any music sung or played in church should be scriptural. The second thing is this, and we'll do this one very quickly because we've already talked a lot about this in this series, but the instrumental accompaniment must emphasize the smooth melodies and harmonies versus those that emphasize a driving rhythm. And again, we, we spent a lot of time on that, so I'm not going to dwell long on this point. We talked about that driving rhythm and, and where it came from and the, you know, the rock and roll beat and all of that kind of stuff. But uh, I do realize that, that sometimes it can be hard to try to find where that line is. Where is the line between melody, you know, smooth melodies and harmonies and uh, a driving rhythm? Sometimes there is a, I mean, obviously there's a fine line between the two of those things somewhere now. Obviously you've got, you got far ends on both sides. Um, but I, I think we have to be charitable in our mind toward other people's choices, and then we have to try to err um, on the side of safety in our own choices just to make sure that we are not going uh, too far to the other side. Number three, turn over to John chapter 16, if you will. John chapter 16. Number three, we must avoid emotional manipulation, and I mentioned this already. But John chapter 16 and verse number 8, and this, this whole passage is kind of talking about the work of the Holy Spirit, but it says this in verse number 8, just for sake of time, we're only going to read that one verse. When he has come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. See, it's, it's the Holy Spirit's job, not the music's job, to bring about a change in people's minds and in their actions. And granted, there's a fine line because the Holy Spirit can certainly speak to somebody's heart through music that is being sung. That's why we do it. Music is there for edification, right? Uh, and, and music itself, as we've said a hundred times throughout this whole series, music is an emotional language. So with music being an emotional language, um, music is going to have some emotional overtones, right? Uh, but we have to avoid striving to purposely evoke or pull out a certain mental or emotional reaction uh, only through the use of that music. Because uh, remember, we're not, we're not simply trying to change somebody's emotional state temporarily. We're trying to edify them, right? And that's, to me, that's one of the mistakes that contemporary Christian music makes, is they're trying to change temporarily everybody's emotional status, right? They want people walking out saying, wow, we really worshiped God today, right? And then when that emotional high wears off, they go right back to their old lifestyle and nothing changes, right? And then they come back to church on Sunday and, oh, they get this emotional high through the music. And, and honestly, I don't know if you've ever, you know, and, and, and I would recommend you doing it once uh, just, to, just to see what I'm talking about. But go onto YouTube and, and go to uh, Hillsong or one of these, you know, one of these big mega churches and, and watch their music service. It's amazing how they use that music to manipulate the entire crowd for the 45 minutes or however long these concerts go on. But you see what happens is, you know, it's, and this is, this, is how it all, this is how it all does. It starts off really slow, and then it starts to kind of flow a little bit higher. And the next thing you know, the whole, the whole band is jamming, and everybody's jumping around on the stage, and then it drops off. And then it's like this slow, moving, whatever, and then it builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds, and then you got this thing. And that's what it's doing. It's literally building everybody into a frenzy. They do the same thing with, at rock concerts and things like that, but that's, that's what is happening in our churches when it comes to using, it's exactly what they're doing, is using emotional manipulation 
Because they, they, they start everybody off slow, and everybody's like, oh, this is beautiful. Oh, here we go. We're, we're building. We're building. Oh, this is great. Oh, I feel like I'm about to explode. And then you drop it back off, and you're like, oh, we were just getting ready to explode. Why did you drop it back off? Well, now they're going to build it again and build it and build it. And that's what I'm saying. It's this emotional roller coaster that they take these people on. And when they leave the service, they're saying, wow. We really worshiped God when all they did was go on an emotional roller coaster. They were emotionally manipulated for 45 minutes or an hour or however long the service lasted, and they think they're worshiping God. That's something that we have to be careful because we're not just trying to change people's emotional state temporarily. We're trying to edify them. And edification a lot of times will include emotions, but it always includes more than that. And in any case, we, we shouldn't seek to manipulate anybody into a spiritual frame of mind or into a spiritual decision. If I have to manipulate somebody into making a spiritual decision, it's going to last as long as, as, as long as they're in this room until they walk out, and then that's where it ends. But if the Holy Spirit is doing that work, sometimes there will be an emotional reaction to that, but it's a Holy Spirit's change in their heart, not a, a, an emotional manipulation that happened for a short period of time and then ended when that music ended. Here's number four. Turn over to, let's see here, um, Let's turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. I got a couple verses, but I don't, for the sake of time, I don't need you necessarily to turn to all of them. But number four, we, we must do everything possible to prevent the message being eclipsed by the messenger. Um, in a different context, but with a lot of the same valid application to all of the Christian life, John said this in, in John chapter 3 and verse 30 He must increase, but I must decrease. Right? Uh, and I think what a, what a great principle when it comes to our singing, uh, especially music that is being sung by uh, a special group or something like that. Um, passionate people are going, to put, are, are, gonna, are going to put themselves fully and emotionally into what they're doing, into that music they perform, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10 says, Whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, do it with all thy might. Right? So I'm not saying that we have to just stand up here and, and sing the song and then go sit down. Hey, there are some people that I listen to sing or that I watch sing that, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess maybe it's because of the way that I grew up and very, very unemotional in church and things like that, that, you know, I don't get really emotional with my hands and that kind of stuff when I'm up here singing, you know. Um, but some people do that. Right? Some people, some people really get into the song, and man, you get to enjoy the song with them because you can tell how much they're enjoying that song. And hey, that's because they're putting their whole heart and soul into it, and there's nothing wrong with that. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all, but the, the, the thing that we have to pay attention to and the thing that we have to watch out for is making sure that, we, uh, that the messenger is not eclipsing the message. Um, there's a line that's crossed when the musical gifts we exercise become a display of ourselves rather than the Holy Spirit, right? Where did those gifts come from? The Holy Spirit gave us those gifts, right? And when we are displaying those gifts, and that's eclipsing the power of the Holy Spirit because of the way that we're displaying those gifts, then we've missed the entire point. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, but the manifestation of the Spirit is given to every man to profit with all. See, so many uh, secular musicians in, engage in what I call vocal gymnastics. You see them get up to sing the national anthem, and man, the best ones, that, the ones that sing the national anthem the best are the ones that just sing the national anthem, right? Then you have people that get up and, oh, say, can you see? 
And you're like, just sing the song, right? But what are they trying to do? Why are they singing it that way? They're trying to show off how good their voice is, right? They want everybody to know that they can do all this stuff with their voice. And a lot of times that translates over into church and people start doing that exact same thing, you know? Uh, some of it, I'll, I'll be honest with you, some of it is that people are just not musically trained at all. They have no idea what they're doing up there, so they just sing it the hillbilly way they've always heard that song, right? And they're all over the place with the song. They're not trying to show off or whatever else. But that, again, that's where, I, I'm sorry if you weren't trained that way. That's not the way that we sing it in church. And you're not going to do the vocal gymnastics and try to, try to eclipse the message by the messenger. We're just the messenger, Right? And honestly, listen, all of these things can apply to preaching, too. you got a lot of people that get up there, and it's all about, you know, theatrics, and, you know, they're, they're doing all this kind of stuff, and, and they're eclipsing the message by the messenger. Man, that was a great, that guy's a great preacher. He preached a great message. That, that's not really, you know, I mean, people, you know, people will say that, don't necessarily mean that in that way, but, but a lot of times, you know, what did he preach on? Man, I can't even really, really, I can't remember what he preached up. I remember, it was a great sermon. He really, you know, well, he missed the whole point. You know what, you know what the best thing that people can say is? Man, honestly, I don't even remember who preached that message, but God used that in my heart, and I'm telling you what, that message changed my life. And for the life of me, I can't remember who it was that preached that message, but God used it. I've had that happen before. There are times, you know, when I was growing up that people came to, to our church and preached messages, and I can't remember who preached it, but I just, I remember the message. And that's the way that it should be. The messenger should never eclipse the message in preaching or in singing. And obviously, that's what we're talking about now. But uh, how do we keep ourselves from crossing that line? Well, there's some, some churches, you know, don't let uh, the singers hold on to an individual mic. Because when you get an individual mic in your hand, that's when you start doing all the, you know, whatever else you want to do with, the, with, with that mic in your hand. We don't have a problem with that here. I don't have a problem with somebody holding an individual mic. I mean, there may be some day when we get somebody in that, that does something where I'm like, okay, we can't have people hold individual mics anymore. But, you know, for the most part, it's not a problem. Uh, some churches say nobody holds an individual mic because if you're standing in a group together and everybody's singing with the same mic, you know, you can't do but so much, right? Some people actually say that they don't, they don't allow solos in their church because uh, it's a whole lot easier to, uh, control is not the right word, but it's a whole lot easier to, to uh, forego that when you have a group of five people singing versus one person singing, right? Uh, but however, however uh, churches choose to apply that or draw the line, the point is that there has to be a, long, a line drawn somewhere, and uh, it cannot be about me. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just the way the music gets heard, right? The person that's singing is just the way that the song is being given to the people to be an edification to the people. And if, I mean, obviously, look, people make CDs because they have good voices, right? Nothing wrong with that. I'd rather listen to somebody making a CD with a good voice than somebody making a CD that can't sing at all, right? Uh, but, so, so I'm not, there's, there's a fine line here. Um, but the main thing is, especially with those who are singing, is that uh, it, it cannot be about me. It cannot be about um, the messenger eclipsing the message. And then here's the last thing. Turn over to 1 Corinthians. I'm sorry, two things left. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Didn't mean to get your hopes up. We must emphasize music without letting it replace the primary purpose of church, which is the preaching. Um, it's the preaching that's the power of God. It's the preaching that God uses to save those that believe. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 18. For the preaching of the cross is to them that preach, fo uh, perish foolishness, but unto them which are saved it is the power of God. 
For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the wisdom of the, the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So to, to accomplish that, there are some churches that, that, that refuse to have any service that does not include some lengthy message along with it. I, I don't go that far in my mind, but I can appreciate that, right? There are some churches that don't have uh, just a Christmas cantata or something like that because, well, the, the whole point of church is that there has to be preaching. And if, if somebody's going to say that, then I don't have any problem with that. Um, I don't go that far. We, you know, we've, we've been trying to expand the emphasis on music in our church um, you know, without at the same time de-emphasizing the preaching, right? I love to have some more groups on Sunday night that could sing and, and be a part of the service. Um, but the, the danger in overemphasizing music is that music, music often makes people feel good, and preaching often doesn't make people feel good, right? Uh, music is like, wow, that was great, this is wonderful, and then the preaching comes and you're like, wow, that makes me feel really bad, he's stepping on my toes, I don't like that, right? So you start to overemphasize the music because that's what the people like, and you start to de-emphasizing the preaching because that's not what the people like. Uh, but if our people do feel bad when they should feel bad, then they're going to act right when they should act right. And that's why we continue to emphasize preaching over the music. But by and large, music edifies, but preaching is the tool that produces that real and lasting change in a congregation. If all we, did, if all we ever did was sing, there might be some edification that goes on, but there would probably be very few changes that take place in people's lives. Last thing, turn over to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, when all else fails, allow the pastor to exercise his God-given authority over the music program. If, there ha if it comes down to it and people have a disagreement about we should do this or we should do that or whatever else, well, the Bible says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, this is a true saying, verse number 1, if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desireth a good work. Bishop, in that original language, means overseer or essentially boss. And I, you know, I, I certainly don't try to run our church like I'm the boss. But somebody has to be in charge. Somebody has to be responsible for making decisions. Um, and somebody has to choose the direction of this church in this place. And in, in, in this place, it just so happens to be me. And, uh, you know, God's put different people in different places all over this country, right? And um, the, the pastor may not always be able to explain exactly why he does or doesn't like a particular song, but I think the Holy Spirit speaks uh, I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit speaks to a pastor necessarily differently than he speaks to somebody else, but uh, the reason that I like a particular song or don't like a particular song, I think a lot, a lot has to do with the way the Holy Spirit is leading uh, me in the direction of this church. There are some times when I've made decisions where I'm like, you know what, I don't know if this is right or wrong, and it turns out that, that often it, it, it's, it's a right decision and a right direction for our church, uh, and I think it's because God does give us that, that, that leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, I'm doing my best to lead, lead our church in a direction where the music is exciting and where it's uplifting instead of being dry and boring, but there's a fine line between going too far in that as well, and so we have to make sure that we don't cross that, that line, keeping the emphasis where it belongs and making sure we don't violate those godly music principles. And sometimes that's a very delicate balance. Turn lastly to Psalm 62, uh, 66, sorry, because I, I, th I don't think we should live panicked in fear of our church's music ministry, but we shouldn't throw caution to the wind either. I think the direction that our music and our church is going in is, is just fine. I don't think we have any issues with that in our church. And, and thankfully, you know, those, the groups that sing and, and those who are part of our singing 
um, uh, groups and all of that kind of stuff. I don't, I, I've never had to fight anybody on our music. That's not a song you can sing. That's not something we're going to sing here. I've never had to do that. And I know there's a lot of churches where, you know, they have to get, they have to get with this group almost every time they sing because, man, that song was right on the, on the, on the edge and whatever else. And I'm thankful that we don't have to deal with that and, and haven't had to. Maybe someday we will. But we have to have that balanced, reasoned, scriptural approach and then stick with it regardless of the pressure. Psalm 66, verse 2 says, Sing forth the honor of his name. Make his praise glorious. Someday... We're going to stand around the throne of God with millions and millions and millions of other people and sing that song around the throne in heaven. We're going to sing the greatest song that's ever been sung. I don't know what it's going to sound like. I don't know what music in heaven sounds like. And I, and I think it's probably something that, uh, you know, all we know is music in octaves and music in certain keys and things like that. And I think the music in heaven is probably going to be, you know, music that we never even can comprehend. Um, I think there's going to be octaves that we've never heard sung before. I think there's going to be, uh, you know, maybe even instruments that, have ne- that we've never even heard before. I think there's going to be voices that we've never even been able to comprehend before. I really do think that it's going to be that way. Um, but until that day, uh, we need to keep asking the Lord to use heaven's music as well as we know how down here. And so when it comes to choosing church music, I'm sure there's probably some other principles that we could throw in there. But I think these, will, these are our guidelines that I think will help us, and especially when it comes to our church's music and the direction that our church goes in when it comes to music. But it's, it's, it's great in helping you when it comes to choosing music that, that uh, you'll listen to in your own home as well. So um, hopefully those are principles that are helpful to you. We'll close in prayer. And then we'll sing our song we'll be dismissed. Father, we love you. Again, we thank you so much for how good you are to us. Again, we thank you for the principles that we find in the Word of God. Uh, I pray that you'd help us to make sure that our, our music principles in this church and in our homes are, are, are pleasing to you. Uh, that's what we want more than anything is for people to be edified through the music in our church and that it doesn't eclipse the preaching, that it doesn't, that it doesn't take away from the importance of what the Holy Spirit is trying to do in our hearts and our lives through that music. I pray that you just... Uh, help us as we move, in, in, uh, move forward in that direction. And also, God, I pray for our church. I, I pray that you give us a place to meet. I do pray also that those who are uh, going through so many difficult things, that you'd help them through them, that you give them comfort, and uh, you know exactly what their situation is. And so I pray that you would just uh, work in each heart. I pray that you'd give us safety as we go home. And thank you for all you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go ahead and stand, and we'll close in our chorus. The Lord returns in glory. This could be the day that He calls His children home. So be faithful in service as you watch and pray.